that talk about the, the challenge of discipleship. We as a community have intentionally uh, been following a guide called the lectionary. If you, if you Google lectionary, you'll find out, you'll, you'll be able to see places. But if this is one particular uh, site that you can go to, it's the lectionary.library.vanderbilt.edu. So <laughs> want to jot that down. This, you can watch where we're going uh, over, you know, we, we've kind of been following this list of texts because it kind of pushes us into the Gospels. Um, we don't follow it religiously in the sense that we do it every single week because we are somewhat rebellious. But uh, <laughs> I think you'll enjoy if you want to keep up with us. Over the next several weeks, as I suggested, we're going to be talking about discipleship which means we're going to be covering some of the hard stuff that Jesus talks about with us. Things that don't come naturally to us. Stuff like sacrifice, um, servanthood, caring for people that are less privileged than we are, loving difficult people, um, commitment to marriage, money issues, and uh, uh, rescuing lost people, remembering those outside of faith. So we're going to be uh, reading some of those over the next few weeks, and there's some pretty daunting challenges that Jesus puts out there, and they, they're beyond us. They, they're, they're things that when we listen to them, you feel a little depressed because you realize they're beyond you. But we recognize that even though God's bar is very high, he gives us grace to hit those things. It's never, he never lowers it. It isn't like he's going to lower your, his standard to uh, be able to make you feel better about you being a toad. Right? He just wants you to admit you are a toad and that he will help. He'll kiss you, turn you into a prince. He'll, he'll, he'll somehow transform your life, help you hit the standards that he has for you. And there are things that always lead to a kind of cross-oriented life. Uh, that's always an exciting thought. We have brought you here to die. Right? That's kind of what it, in fact, to be honest with you, uh, the, a, a huge part of Jesus' ministry is to ruin your life. You want to go a certain way, you want to be selfish, you want to be unforgiving, and it just seems like it's just so appropriate to hate somebody. But Jesus says, no, you can't do that. You've got to be giving here. You've got to, you've got to enter in when you want to run away, all those kinds of issues. You've got to give when you want to hold on, that kind of stuff. And as you look at the scriptures, right from the beginning... Jesus' disciples had a kind of sketchy response to him. And the sketchy continues <laughs> in the 21st century. We read not too many weeks ago a text in John 6 where Jesus is making these pretty incredible statements, statements that made his followers nervous. He still makes those statements. And we pick up the narrative in John 6 and 66. It says from that, or excuse me, John 6 and verse 60, he says, on hearing it, Many of his disciples said, this is way too hard. Who, who can accept this? We still say that at times. And Jesus, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, and we still grumble. Jesus said to them, does this offend you? <laughs> He's not afraid of offending you. Just go ahead and talk to God about your stuff, and you will be offended. Right? You, t you take a friendship. God, dear, you know, Sarah, would you please fix her? God will say, well, you're the one that needs fixing. <gasps> you know, you get offended. I mean, he's just going to, you talk to him about your stuff, he's going to mess with you. Right? So Jesus says, does this offend you? And then a few verses later, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer 
followed him. That still happens. There are lots of folks, sad to say, that only follow him when it's really tough in their lives or when they need a miracle. They follow him then. But as a general rule, they don't pursue him consistently. Why? Because being a disciple is no easy chore. And uh, he looked at his, the 12 and he said, do you guys want to leave me too? Do you? And Simon Peter, this is one of the times he actually came across like a rock star. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where are we going to go? I mean, what are our choices? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. See, I believe that this is our response to him. That we are willing to say, Jesus, you're the deal. Because all of these texts, they're, they're centering, this whole idea of discipleship is centering around the, the notion of lordship. That somehow we believe that Jesus has the right to tell us stuff. That, that, that he's the Lord of our life, which means he's not suggesting stuff to us. That he's not, he's not asking us to agree with him. But simply to obey him. Americans hate obedience. We particularly are a culture of people that we don't want to know what. We want to know why. And then after we hear your what, why, then we'll talk about it whether we agree. And then we might do your what. But only because we agree. We love agreement. We do not like obedience. Obedience sounds like slavery to us. But as a disciple... We have to be willing to obey, which means American Christians don't make very good disciples. Ouch. A disciple isn't just a person who prays that prayer, Lord, Lord, come into my life. A disciple is a person who learns to hear and to receive God's word as preeminent in their lives. It's a person who's surrendered to the fruit of the Holy Spirit sort of emerging from a heart. It's a person who has a heart to love God, a person who, who lives after the commands of God. A disciple is a person who does justice, who does what is right. I mean, even if you just did something wrong, you do the next right thing. Even if you just sin, what's the next right thing? Repent. It says you're oriented to doing justice, doing justly and loving mercy and walking humbly with our God. That's what the scripture calls it. The disciple is one who hears the cry of the people who are on the underside of power, the poor, the people that need rescuing. And we hear their cry and we respond. It's a person that fosters unity, that, that we are always looking for ways to move toward each other, not looking at ways for how we're different from each other and pointing that out and becoming schismatics where we just want to be with everybody that agrees with exactly what we think. But we say, you know what? We don't have to agree on everything. But what we can agree on is God is big and Jesus is Lord. And let's just move toward each other, even though at times we want to kill each other. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is a disciple. But being a disciple is tough stuff. And so you end up, the problem is some believers strive to be disciples and other believers do not. Which presents a question. What happens to the people who... Do not embrace the cost of discipleship. What happens to those in eternity? I mean, we're all going to go into eternity. Does it matter that you are serious about your faith? Does it matter that you live a cross life here? Does it matter that you go through the pain of obedience here? Well, what does that mean? And so I want to give you a little diagram here of showing you uh, what, it, what it looks like uh, for us to surrender our lives. And you're going to hear in a moment why I got a D 
in penmanship in grade school. But over here on the left, I'm going to put this call to, to uh, the call to discipleship. And don't make fun of me. Here it is. All right. So you can say yes to that. If you say yes to that, that's a beautiful thing. But you can say no. And I want to show you the four kind of theories of what happens to a person that says no to the call to discipleship. Now, the reason we call them theories, they used to, I used to know everything when I was younger. And uh, I wouldn't even tell you what anybody else thought because who cares? I'm right. They're wrong. And as I've grown older and I've actually read and listened to thoughts beyond myself, I've discovered that, that because we're talking about God and because we're talking about eternity and because we're talking about a being we've never seen who is not only one in substance but three in persons, which is a little confusing, that we don't always know exactly what's going on. And there are inferences in Bible texts that give us an idea, but they're not, it's not completely sure. So you have different people that say different things. There are some things that are called unorthodox and heretical, and we don't want to go there. But there's a lot of space for different kind of thoughts. And so I'm going to give you four conceptual spaces that people have when it comes to this call to discipleship and how people respond and what the reaction is as a result of that. So the first one, the theory is, it's it's what I would call um, no problem theory. In other words... If you say no to discipleship, it's no problem. Why? Because Jesus is wonderful and he loves you. And God has nothing but grace and love always wins out irrespective of the choices that you make. No big deal. You act like an idiot. Come on in anyway. Okay. Now, people use texts like this, and I love this text, so don't misunderstand. It's Ephesians 2 and 8 to kind of undergird this idea. And it's this verse, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. I mean, I love this. The reason we can be saved is because of what God has done in us. It is not something we've concocted. We're not performing for God. And he says, go, you're in, you know, uh, you make it in past the, 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 you made the bar because you performed well. This is about what Jesus does in us. Salvation is by God. We trust in God. Even our trust is a gift in order to get into the kingdom. So that's true. But if you're not careful, you'll stretch that so far to say not only is the initial foundation of salvation purely from God, all the rest of it's just God irrespective of what you do. And that starts becoming problematic because what that implies is that you can be disobedient. You can be slothful. You can lack commitment. You can be full of pride. You can have a little dab of hate. Envy, malice, you know, have want of charity in your life, and it's all okay. It means that you can live in inordinate, sinful desires, live under the deception of the world, your own flesh, the devil. Uh, you can be in false doctrine. You can be a schismatic where you're constantly dividing up and, and arguing with people and trying to prove your own way all the time and being a bit nasty and caustic to be around. It means that you can have a hard heart live in contempt of God's word and his commandments. It means that you, could, you can have just basically a heart that doesn't want to rescue the world. You don't only care about yourself. 
you're not supporting those that are less fortunate than you. It means that you can live, you know, with barren in terms of real fruitfulness in your life. You have no real fruit of the Holy Spirit. It means you can live to be served instead of to serve, which makes you a consumer instead of a giver, instead of a lover. And it doesn't matter. It's all good because God is a God of grace, which in many ways is really a statement that God is a God of grease, which means you just slip. It doesn't matter. You just slip around and everything's okay. And don't misunderstand me. I think God loves us and will always love us irrespective if we're morons or not. But it seems to me that God is more than grandpa. Some of us think God is grandpa. You know, I'm a grandpa. You know what grandpa's goal is? All have a good time. That's my goal. I do not care that my grandkids are trained. I do not. I mean, I ultimately do, but it's not my responsibility. When I show up, if they're not supposed to have ice cream or something, I find a way to slip them ice cream, irrespective of those, you know, and I just lean in. I said, you know, you're, you know, you and I share the same enemies. Your parents. Because I think my grandchildren are God's reward for raising those ingrates. Revenge is mine, saith the Ed. Anyway, so, so being grandpa is a, a completely different world than being dad. Because when you're dad, you're interested not just in them being happy, you're interested in them living well, or you will raise third world dictators. If you're not careful as a father, you'll have children that you love, but nobody else loves. I want everybody to love my kids, not just me which means that I've got to discipline them. And scripture says, discipline is never joyous, but it's hurtful, it's painful, arduous. And so some of us think God is grandpa, but he's not. He's your father. He's interested in you being different than you are. He's interested in getting all up in your grill and talking about how you live, right? So to suggest that it's no problem, I think is is problematic. The second thing people kind of theory that people have when it comes to rejecting the call of discipleship is not that there's no problem, but they think that there's another space that after you die, because you didn't deal with discipleship, that God will deal with you about it. And some of you have heard of it, I'm sure. It's called purgatory. And this is embraced by Catholics, uh, Anglicans, uh, Orthodox. It's it's even, there's even a, a, a kind of idea of purgatory in Wesleyan theology. And it's kind of this notion that, um, in a way, it's the same as one, in the sense that everybody gets in, no problem, except when you get in here, God's going to mess with you here. If you didn't let him mess with you on this side of eternity, he's going to mess with you on that side of eternity. And just a little hell will do you, right? He's got he's to mess with you a little bit. <laughs> Because you still have need of purification. You still have need for God to mess with you. Now, now in all honestly, uh, honesty, this, this idea of purgatory, it's understood to be a state of those who die in friendship with God. But they still have need of purification in order to enter. Remember the scripture says no one can see him except for holiness. And that they think that there has to be some kind of a purification to enter into the, into the happiness of heaven because these people did not take holiness seriously and discipleship seriously in this world. And so they have to go through this purgation or this cleansing kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's a very redemptive idea, even though it's sketchy theologically. 
But it's a very redemptive idea because what it's suggesting is that, is that you're, you're really being prepared to see him. And, and, and instead of it being a tormenting place, I mean, Dante, who is the great um, uh, uh, poet from the 15th century, Dante is the one that made purgatory and hell like most of our images that we get in popular cultures from Dante, not the Bible. And Dante, I mean, but the real kind of perspective from the Orthodox and the Anglicans and the, and, the, and the Catholics is that the fire that purges the believer is God's love. How many of you ever been sitting in a service and you get mugged by God's love? You start realizing, God loved me. What, what happens? We love him because he first loved us. There's something very fiery about God's love for you. And it's the notion that, that in purgatory is that when you have the revelation of God's love, you begin to let go and it burns things out of you. So it's not necessarily a negative thing. Wesley had that kind of concept. So that's one idea, purgatory. Is it true? I don't think so. But you know what? I'm not God. Right? Here's the third one. The third idea is, is this notion that uh, you just, if you don't listen to the call of discipleship, you don't say yes to God, you... Uh, you go to hell. Right? That's scary. Where this comes from is Matthew 7. This is Jesus. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, in other words, they prayed the prayer. They prayed the prayer. Not everyone who prays the prayer will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of the Father. He who does something. This is mirrored in, in James when James wrote, you can show me your faith by your words, but I'll show you my faith by my deeds. It's the doing of what you believe and by my works. So he says, only those who do the will of the Father in heaven, many will say to me that day, on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons? Didn't we perform many miracles? In other words, we came to you a lot when we needed stuff. Every time we got in trouble, we came to you. We trusted you to fix stuff. Right? I mean, do you remember when, I mean, that we ran at you when, when, when our bottom of our lives were falling out? We came to you. There's a lot of people that do that. And then as soon as things start clearing up a little bit, they're back to their own devices. And Jesus says to them plainly, I, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, obviously, this is a disturbing text. I mean, this ought to freak you out just a little bit, right? Now, I, I get it. You know, you juxtapose this up on the other side of what Paul said. Paul said it simply, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and you're saved. And as the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So you have on one side saying, all you need to do is say, Jesus is Lord, declare and believe in your heart you're saved. On the other side, you have Jesus saying, you can say it all you want, Lord, Lord, but if you ain't do nothing with it, you're going to hell. Who's right? <clears throat> I think they're both right. I just don't know how they're both right. <laughs> I mean, I, th I, think, I think at best, you know, see, make sure that you don't have a canon within a canon. Make sure you just don't make one, some verses the most important verses and make every other verse fit in it. Understand, God is okay with us being a little confused. Do you remember how many times Jesus preached and people go, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? I don't know. I don't know. 
but we're in. See, we, we, we in the West, you know, we just, well, I, know exactly, I know exactly what he means. I have this all figured out. It just all fits neatly together. Well, you know what? You don't have it all figured out, you little worm. <laughs> this is whole side of God, which is known as a whole aspect of theology called apophatic theology. What it means is, this is a bunch of stuff we don't get. There's a lot of mystery to this. And most of us are uncomfortable with mystery because we're moderns and moderns don't believe in mystery. All moderns think is the only reason it's mysterious is because we haven't teased it apart and cut it up enough. So we're trying to cut it up, dice it up. Well, this first compared to this first, this first compared to this first. And there's some stuff you're not going to get cutting up. My old dog, Max, he's in hell. <laughs> You know why I know that? Because he died a glutton. <laughs> and disobedient. He's burning right now in hell. <laughs> but we could dig Max up and you could cut him up. You could put him under a microscope and you could tell what kind of dog he was, how old he was. You could tell a lot about Max. But you wouldn't be able to tell how he could do the tricks he did. You wouldn't know about the time when he got sprayed by the skunk and how freaked out he was and how we were watching him in tomato juice and how he looked at me. You can't tell any of that cutting him up. You wouldn't know about how he was, his personality. Because there's a lot of stuff you can't get under a microscope to figure out. There's a lot of mystery in life. See, we had a frog when I was eight, I was eight years old. I went to camp and we tried to grab a frog. We wanted to cut him open because we were all these, you know, we had a little Cub Scout knife, you know, and we thought, let's get a frog, cut it open, man, because how cool just to see the mystery of inside a life of a frog. And so we were jumping, froggy was jumping around. One of us grabbed him and we all thought, who's going to be the surgeon? Me! <laughs> comes the knife. And as we opened up froggy and all of a sudden froggy stopped living, all the interest left because dead things aren't nearly as interesting as things that are alive. Quit cutting up Christianity. Love mystery. There's stuff about this we don't get. But how cool is that? We're dealing with God who is just a little bit smarter than us. <laughs> Amen? So who's right? I don't know. I think they're both right, Jesus and Paul. Truth is, I think it's a misreading of Jesus to say that, that you go to hell, you know, if, if you don't have complete disciples. I think it's, it's a misreading of Jesus for a number of reasons. But at least it should freak you out a little bit that you might go to hell if you don't get serious. I mean, that freaks me out. See, I believe in hell. I think there's an actual place. I, I don't necessarily think it's the hell that with all the metaphors that I heard when I was growing up as a kid. Because, you know, you, you used to hear this notion that God was, you know, is trying to take the sinner. And some of this comes from, from uh, uh, old preachers that would say, you know, God's almost getting even with the sinner. So you didn't obey me. Well, I'm going to sizzle you. And that there's kind of this idea of God loving the notion of tormenting souls. I don't think that's God. I don't think God's into torment at all. But be that as it may, and I'm not sure the images are right. I mean, hell is supposed to be this place of ultimate, consummate darkness, but there's supposed to be flames there. So there's mixed metaphors. It's like heaven, eternal city. It's supposed to be, there's, you know, Jesus is supposed to be the light and there's no sun and nor moon. 
It doesn't make quite sense what's going on. I mean, there's metaphorical language there. So if you try to dissect it too much, you're going to miss the point. It's like if I go, knock, knock. Dwayne. Dwayne the bathroom, bathtub. I think I'm drowning. Right? <laughs> if you found that 3,000 years from now, and somebody's trying to exegete the passage... Knock, knock. What do you think they were saying there? Because they said knock, knock, not just knock. There must be something significant about knock, knock. And then who's there? Dwayne. What is a Dwayne? Dwayne the bathtub. We know what bathtub is, but what is a Dwayne? But Dwayne the bathtub, I think I'm drowning. It, it's, it's a little unclear, but what we think might be happening here is that there were problems in this time in history. It's like, dude, it was a freaking joke. <laughs> see, see, if you're not careful, you'll take the scriptures and knock, knock, who's that, right? Okay. I, I'm not sure exactly what hell's going to be like, but I'll tell you this. We do know this, that it's a place, uh, I love the evangelical scholar I read some years ago who said, hell is the place that is the ultimate, God's ultimate respect for human will because it's our choice to push God out of our lives and he said it's a place where that's effective where you have God out of your life the scary part of that is it means you're very much alone because all the good that you know God told the pagans one time he said through Paul he said God's giving you the rains and the harvest and he's giving you all the joy of your heart think of the things that bring this is to pagans when, when, as a pagan, outside of faith, uh, outside of knowing Jesus, you know, falling in love, having a baby, the things that make you laugh in life, all that stuff are gifts from God. Imagine being in a place where there are no gifts from God, where you're completely alone. You just see those old sci-fi movies when the guy in the spacesuit gets cut off from the space station and he's floating out into space and there's no way to get him. And I used to freak out thinking about if that was me in there. I even, even worse is being buried alive being in a space where you're all by yourself, always hungry, always thirsty, never dying, alone, forever. You don't need fire. Actually, burning might be entertaining in a place like this. So somehow... In my heart, in my soul, I say, God, I, I, I don't want to be casual about my faith. That's what I get out of that. I mean, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I don't think hell is going to happen. But I want to make sure I'm not going anywhere near there. Right? And then the last thing, number four, is that if you are in a situation where you don't say yes to the discipleship of Jesus, what ends up happening is you end up with me minus what I mean by that is, listen to this text out of Romans 2. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, immortality, he gives eternal life. But to the people who are self-seeking, they're just not serious about their stuff. They reject the truth. They follow evil. He's talking to believers here. There'll be wrath and anger. There'll be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. God doesn't show favoritism to people. Now, this is a little problematic for people who just think God doesn't care. Or he's just grandpa. 
And then we have this text. This is why I say me minus. This is 1 Corinthians 3. This is Paul talking about that last day of judgment. And he says, by the grace of God given to me, I have laid a foundation as an expert builder. Someone else is building on it. You guys have crossed the threshold of faith. You've made Jesus the Lord of your life. That's the foundation. He says, no one can, but he says, but each one should be careful how he builds for no one can lay any other foundation other than the one that is laid that is Jesus. But we build on that foundation. That's what discipleship's about, building on what God has done in us. If, if, and you build on that foundation, you can use several things, gold, silver, costly stones, all very luminous, all very enduring, or wood, hay, and straw, very unluminous. They're light suckers, and they're also not very enduring. So you're either going to build your life with enduring stuff or build your life with stuff that doesn't endure. And he says the person's work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, day, referring to judgment, will bring it to light and it will be revealed or tested with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he has built survives because he used gold, silver, and precious stones, he will receive a reward. But if what he has built is burned up because all he's done is committed to wood, hay, and straw, it, it He'll suffer loss. He'll suffer loss. He'll suffer loss. He'll suffer loss in eternity. Suffer loss. Me minus loss. He will himself be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. What's he saying? You'll be saved, all right, but by the skin of your teeth. And here's the idea. I, this is suggesting that if you don't get serious about discipleship in your life, that some of the capacities you have while you're here won't go with you into eternity. It'll be minus. So here you are, you have a capacity for joy, but you don't take it seriously. You're only attaching your joy to when you get stuff you want. New pair of jeans, new job, friend with that guy that you want to be friends with. And then when things go well, you're going, oh, things are so fun, things are just going great. And when anything turns bad, you start bumming out getting depressed, pushing back, quitting on life. And, and you never let the Lord enter into that picture. I think what happens is when you go into eternity, you'll lose your capacity for real joy. You'll have some. But you'll be like walking by tables at restaurants where people are laughing and having fun. And you'll look and you'll think, oh, that's cool. They're laughing and having fun, but you won't have a clue why. Some of us will just lose our capacity. I think, I think that some of us will lose because we haven't been aggressive. We, we haven't let God govern our love here and help us increase our capacity to love here. Then when we get there, we'll be less apt to serve in that kind of capacity of loving. Or if we don't care for people, we'll be less apt to care. See, Paul talked about when we die and we are resurrected that some of us shine brighter than others. I think some of us will be less than we should because we never took discipleship seriously. One more verse. This is out of James. My brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For a person's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the stuff, the bad stuff, the moral filth, discipleship. The evil that's so prevalent, discipleship. Humbly accept the word, discipleship. Planted in you, which can save you, which can save you, which can save you. Ever go to lunch and eat about half your meal and they say, you want a doggy bag? You say, well, I'm going to save this for later. Some of us aren't saving anything for eternity. We're wasting it all because we don't let the gospel capture us. 
And so our souls, even though we go to heaven, not much of our soul will be saved. We'll just be like see-through-ish. Only being a tiny bit with us. He says, do not merely listen to the world, so, a word and so deceive yourself. Do it! Because when you do the word, it saves you. I have a friend died on the operating table three times and remembered it. Odd story. And he told me, he said, Ed, you know, he said it was so weird. He said, what was weird about it, he would love to memorize scripture. He said, what was weird about it, he said, when I was in that state, he said, I could see my body. It was just weird. He said, but what was in my mind were all these verses that I memorized. But he said, not the ones, all of them, generally. He said, the only verses I could remember were the verses that I had allowed to change my life. See, what if the only thing that carries into the future are the parts of you you've let change your life, God change your life in? The parts of you that you let discipleship take hold on you. See, I'm not talking about you being stupid once in a while because all of us are stupid once in a while, right? Stand up because I'm running out of time, but stand up so you think I'm done. (laughs) This is a great thing. Um, there are times that I have moods. How many of you had moods? moods? This last week, Gil and I were traveling. We were traveling for nine days. I was going to a convention in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Got off the plane. It's late. We're supposed to meet somebody. And we're in a hurry. And I'm a little bit spent. I've been traveling all day. You know, we got off the plane. Gail knew we were supposed to go right away to this meeting. So she said, I got to just freshen up, make up a little bit and get my hair. I said, great, go in there and do that. And so she only took about maybe 10 minutes at most. And so she finally gets out, but it was a little bit late at night. And so by the time we got to the um, baggage claim area, our bags were gone. But we, we weren't there that long. They should have been there. I'm an executive platinum member with American Airlines. That's about as high as you can get. And I was unhappy. I was an unhappy executive platinum member who did not remember he was a Christian. I was having a mood. And so I came down there and said, where? And somebody else said, our bags are gone. I said, well. And in a huff, I go over to American Airlines check counter. And the young man that was responsible, I said, hey, where are our bags? He said, well, they're here, sir. I was a little bit, you know, I had to, da, da, da. he was giving me an excuse. I said, listen, don't, don't give me an excuse. Gail's saying, Edwin, you're a Christian. You're a Christian. <laughs> I'm not right now. I'm manifesting. <laughs> I said, I do not appreciate this. This was wrong. You should have stayed over there and done make me hunt for my bags. Good. Boy, I tell you, I look like I was going to hell. So I'm not saying if you, you know, you're going to be stupid. But hopefully it's a mood. Hopefully you just get the atheist flu for 48 hours. And then you recover and you're okay. But when you become persistent... Being unloving. When you become persistent in just hearing the word and thinking, ah, it's okay, or not trembling at it. When you become persistent in not letting fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit dominate your life and you're selfish and mean, I am telling you, either it's going to be okay, or you're going to be in purgatory, or you're going to go to hell, or you're going to go into eternity with me minus. Most of those options are bad options. So, listen to Jesus. Submit to discipleship and let's change the world.
as we go today. Uh, if you need prayer for anything, our prayer team will be over here at the cross. They would love to pray with you. Uh, also, a reminder, if you were not here last week, didn't have an opportunity to sign up for one of our missional groups, you can grab a brochure out in the gathering space and contact one of those leaders. Also, if you're a college student or young adult and you're interested in our grub uh, groups, uh, you can sign up for those as well out in the gathering space. Let's all lift our voices together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And as we go today, as always, we want to remind you of God's blessing for your life. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you safe in his arms. May he make his beautiful face shine on you. May he be gracious to you. May we be guided by and challenged by his grace. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace, a peace that passes all of your understanding. May it guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Go in peace today. When I